Hi, I'm Tracy Price, your Lord Mayor candidate. As your Lord Mayor, I will focus on ways to reduce the cost of living, provide more affordable housing and improve our public transport system. I will be standing up for the suburbs. We can make a difference. Send the LNP Council a message and let's get it right for Brisbane. Tracy Price is right for Brisbane. Vote one Tracy Price for Lord Mayor. Authorised by Kate Flanders, Level 1, 16 Peel Street, South Brisbane. House prices are on the rise, but there are doubts over whether it can be sustained. The ASIO chief is under pressure to name the ex-MP that he alleges worked for a foreign country. And can Dune 2 save Hollywood? Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It is Friday, the 1st of March, 2024. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, after the show today, you have an interview. It's a fascinating chat today with Michael Shoebridge, who is the founder and director of defence and security think tank Strategic Analysis Australia. Yes, it's all about this story over the past couple of days where the boss of ASIO, Mike Burgess, has come out and suggested that there has been an MP who's been working for a foreign entity. Now, the story, well, we've got more on the story itself, but we talk to Michael Shoebridge just about how regular that is, how it goes on, whether the ASIO chief said the right thing or didn't say the right thing, how politicians have reacted. It's potent- this is potentially a really, really big story if we have foreign entities influencing our MPs. And Michael Shoebridge is as well-placed as anyone to comment on it, so it's a fascinating chat. Yeah, it sure is. It is well worth sticking around for. It comes up after the show. But the main story this morning, Sean, the price of houses across the country rose by 0.6% in February, which is more than 7% on an annualised basis, providing the strongest monthly gain since last October. It comes as auction clearance rates have bounced back and all major cities and rest of state regions recorded a lift in value over the month, with the exception of Hobart, where the market was actually down a bit, according to CoreLogic. While there are gains, most areas are showing lower growth rates than the highs of last year when the national index rose 1.3%. Perth stands out with a substantially higher rate of growth compared to any other region, up 1.8% over the month. Adelaide, Brisbane and the regional areas of South Australia, Western Australia and Queensland are consistently growing around the 1% level per month. The growth rates in Sydney and Melbourne home values have levelled out, but at least Melbourne has emerged from a three-month slump of negative monthly movements to grow again last month, albeit just 0.1%. Sydney dwelling values have moved back into positive territory over the past couple of months as well after recording small declines late last year. Uh, Sean, okay, that's kind of what's happened. Can you bust out the property crystal ball (laughs) (laughs) and tell us what's going to happen to prices? Well, no one, including CoreLogic's research director, Tim Lawless, is expecting huge jumps in prices. He says last year's rate hikes dented capital gains but weren't enough to extinguish growth entirely. The shortfall of house supply relative to housing demand continues to put upward pressure on home values across most regions. However, it's always bad when someone like Tim Lawless says, however, because you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. Mm. However, he says, it's hard to see a significant rebound in values given a bunch of downside factors, affordability constraints, rising unemployment, a slowdown in the rate of household savings and a cautious lending environment. So, Michael, 
Don't expect a boom year in 2024. However, is a very good way of just providing a lot of balance to comments, yes. isn't it? It's just it is. But it's sort of a bit like but. You know, anything that's said before but, you can pretty much ignore. However, it's not quite there, but mm, it's a almost. semi but. Yeah, <laughs> it's a half a but. It's one cheek. <laughs> Shall we talk about local markets? Yeah, let's go. What did uh, what happened on local markets yesterday, Sean? Uh, the S&P ASX 200 closed up half a percent to 7,699 points. Real estate investment trusts and consumer discretionary stocks did best while utilities underperformed. More companies went ex-dividend. Suncorp did, Macquarie did. That pushes their share prices lower than what they would have been. Among the large caps, banks were mixed. Miners were higher. West Farmers jumped 1% and Goodman Group was up 3.5%. James Hardy, REA, Coles and Aristocrat Leisure, they all did pretty well, while WiseTech Global and CSL ended lower. What about international markets? Well, US economic growth figures released yesterday morning our time show the world's largest economy expanded at a 3.2% pace during the December quarter. The Fed's preferred inflation metric, the all-important personal consumption expenditures price index, doesn't that roll off the tongue? Personal consumption expenditures price index, it rose at a 1.8% annual rate in the fourth quarter. Now, if you exclude food and energy, it was up about 2.1%. At the end of the day, put all that into the mix master, probably not a lot of good news for those hoping that the US will cut interest rates in the next month or two. People are thinking about the middle of the year now. As a result, the Aussie dollar fell below 65 US cents yesterday. Because investors think interest rates in major economies will stay higher for longer, those markets become more attractive. Now, locally, bond markets are priced in a 7% chance of a rate cut next month, but pretty much a 100% chance for later in the year. Also, Michael, one of Australia's largest crypto exchanges, BTC Markets, booked a Bitcoin trade yesterday at an Australian dollar record of $97,000 a unit. Not bad. A combination of a strong Bitcoin, it's trading around 63000 US dollars a unit, and a weak Aussie dollar means the token traded in local currency at a record. There you go. The prime reason for the higher price of Bitcoin in US dollars, of course, is the huge inflows to exchange traded funds. There's a lot going on with Bitcoin at the moment. We might have to uh, to kind of get into that one next week, maybe an interview next week. Yeah, I think we should line someone up. Indeed. All right. Uh, plenty going on, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, retail trade figures for January have disappointed, but business investment, which is a key driver of economic growth, is stronger than forecast. Uh, it was a very busy day for the Bureau of Statistics yesterday with mixed news on the economy. Starting with the retail trade figures, economists had expected a big jump in turnover following a couple of very weak months. It just didn't happen. I mean, sales were still up 1.1%, but nothing like people expected. Over the three months, the value of retail spending is pretty much flat, while growth in volumes is negative. Households aren't spending like they were. However, businesses are and that's good news now at risk of oversimplifying things i'm going to give an economics lesson hang on short you never need to worry about the risk of over oversimplifying <laughs> things do not worry about it well but there'll be there'll be economists out there who'll be mortified at what i'm saying sean Forget about all the economists and just think about me make me understand here okay so if you think of the economy right you've got mm -hmm. consumption a lot of that's mm -hmm. consumer spending 
You've got businesses spending like investment. Mm-hmm. So you've got consumption investment. Then you've got government spending. There's also net exports. That's exports minus imports. They've been positive for decades. We're just going to park the net exports for a moment. Okay. Put all those together, right? Into the mix master. Consumption, yeah. investment, government, net exports into the mix master. Uh-huh. That makes up what you call aggregate demand. That's like the value of the economy. And changes in that aggregate demand gives us economic growth, or at least the economic growth rate. So we talk about the GDP, it kind of equals consumption and investment and government and net exports. Now, COVID throws this story a bit astray, but just stay with me. Consumers and government spending doesn't tend to be as volatile as business spending. What happens in business spending or capital expenditure has a big influence on changes in economic growth because those other two are pretty stable. Business spending figures yesterday came in higher than expected. The Bureau of Statistics Survey also asks what businesses think they'll spend in the future. And that was good news too, with a solid uplift for the next financial year, particularly in services industries and specifically in information media and telcos along with utilities. The moral of the story, and it's been a long story. I've got to give you, I will end you sort of, you are nodding off there, but the moral of the story is that consumption, households, mm, not so happy. Businesses, they're still investing. Good news. A bit of yin, a bit of yang. Can I can I ask you a follow up question, Sean? Oh yes. Just to just to not, it's not just to prove that I was listening, but also because I'm curious. If you say that, that consumers and, and government spending doesn't tend to be that that volatile, I get government spending because that's quite predictable. Consumers, yeah, maybe because you can kind of see those trends more long term. Why then is business spending more volatile? Well, it's because businesses invest when they think times are good. So if you think of uh, their contribution to GDP, and uh, I'll have to check with Seven Kukulis on that, it kind of ranges between about 18% of GDP right down to 12%. It fell a long way. It's on the way back up again. It's because if I'm a business, like we're running Fear and Greed and we want to invest in a new product and we think there's going to be a big audience out there, we'll spend money to do that. Other times when we don't think that's going to happen, we don't spend money. Whereas when I run a house, my grocery bill, whether the times are good or bad, is about the same. Okay. So... That's kind of how you think about it. And so the contribution from investment to GDP, the range of contribution is wider than the other ones. Okay. So now we send the signal out to all the economists listening Uh, to take your fingers out of your ears now. You can resume listening. Please. Um, I enjoyed that. Actually, no, enjoyed that was the wrong word. I learned (laughs) something just then, Sean. Thank you. Good, good, good. Now, onto the story that we talked about at the top of the show. ASIO Chief Mike Burgess is under pressure to name the former Australian politician who was recruited allegedly by a foreign spy agency and betrayed their country with opposition leader Peter Dutton speculating that it is an ex-Labor MP from New South Wales with links to China. Former Treasurer and Ambassador Joe Hockey came out and called for the Member of Parliament to be revealed, saying the allegation has smeared all ex-MPs. But Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles backed the decision by the Security Agency's Director-General not to name the former politician, who Mr Burgess claimed told spies he could bring an unnamed Prime Minister's family member into their orbit. Delivering his annual threat assessment on Wednesday night, Mr Burgess revealed that spies from an unnamed country he dubbed the A-Team, had been conducting extensive intelligence gathering activities in Australia, according to reports in the media. He revealed details of their work, including the cultivation of bureaucrats with security clearances 
academics, business figures, and political identities, offering them thousands of dollars to hand over secrets. Mr Burgess also revealed the A-team successfully recruited a former Australian politician. He said the politician sold out their country, party, and former colleagues to advance the interests of the foreign regime and at one point even proposed bringing a prime minister's family member into the spy's orbit. Now, that plot didn't go ahead. Separately and in no way related to that comment, former Liberal Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull's son, Alex, has told news.com.au that he was approached by suspected Chinese agents back in 2017 about an opportunity to buy equity in an infrastructure project. It's a very, very serious allegation. Not We're not talking about Alex Turnbull here. We're talking about what Mike Burgess was talking about. It's a very, very serious allegation. I'm sure we're going to hear plenty more on it. Yeah, absolutely. And well worth a listen to Michael Shoebridge, your interview today, uh, because he does know this space very well, having been uh, a deputy in multiple uh, security agencies within Australia. So it's it's uh, just a fascinating, fascinating story that you're right. We will be hearing much more about it. Uh, Sean, the Dunkley by-election in Melbourne takes place tomorrow. Labor expected to retain the seat, although it's pretty likely to suffer a swing against it. Opposition leader Peter Dutton reckons the swing will be 3%, not enough to erase the 6.2% margin on a two-party preferred basis, but, Michael, enough to put it within striking distance at the next federal poll. Uh, And also in Canberra yesterday, Sean, was Philippines President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Now, he's the 17th President of the Philippines and son of the 10th President, Ferdinand Marcos, and former First Lady, Imelda Marcos, who famously owned about 3,000 pairs of shoes. This doesn't always help the current President Michael because people like me talk about it, when in fact there is a much more substantive issue going on here. Let's get to that substantive part. Ferdinand Jr. said the destiny of Australia is irrevocably linked to the destiny of Asia and his country is on the front line against actions that undermine regional peace. While not mentioning China, he said the Philippines would not surrender one square inch of territory to a foreign power. He and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese signed a memorandum of understanding on closer maritime cooperation. A diversified miner, South32, wants to sell its Illawarra coal operations for $2.5 billion to a local investment group and a coal millionaire. Golden Energy and Resources and Queensland coal baron Matt Lattimore have made the bid, but there's a few wrinkles in it yet. South32 customer Bluescope, the steelmaker, has preemptive acquisition rights over the operation, along with a contract until 2032 for the supply of coal. Yesterday, Blue Scope said it is considering its position. Now, if, if Blue Scope exercises its rights, the asset will be sold to Blue Scope on the same commercial terms and conditions as the current bid. South 32 boss Graham Kerr said the coal exit was part of the company's strategy to reshape its portfolio towards commodities critical in decarbonisation. It hasn't exactly been the best of times for Star Entertainment, has it? But it did make money for the final six months of last year, Sean. $9.1 million. Mm, Perhaps it's the worst of times. Certainly Star shareholders hope that we've seen the worst of times. The group, of course, faces a second inquiry into its Sydney casino and is also suffering from a downturn in consumer spending. Revenue was off nearly 15%, mostly due to lower turnover in premium gaming areas. Star also said greater competition from pubs and clubs and Crown Casino in Sydney is hurting. Chief Executive Robbie Cook said remediation remains the group's number one priority. Star's share price closed up 8% yesterday. That was some good news. 
But mind you, the value of the company is about half what it was when the first New South Wales inquiry into the Sydney casino was announced a couple of years ago. Australia's largest white goods and home retailer, Harvey Norman, yesterday said sales and profits were in sharp decline in the December half, though Executive Chair Jerry Harvey says the company is well-placed for a rebound in the construction cycle. The eternal optimist Jerry Harvey, now also helping, according to Mr Harvey, is a jump in immigration. Sales at company-owned stores in Australia and overseas and franchised Harvey Norman Domain and Joyce Main sites were down 7%. That meant lower franchise fees for the company and pre-tax profit was off 46%. Now, back in October, Harvey Norman warned that its pre-tax profits had halved in the first three months of the financial year. So the result was actually better than expected and the group share price jumped 4.4%. All right, turning to international news now, and the US Supreme Court has agreed to decide Donald Trump's claim of immunity from prosecution on charges brought by a special counsel involving his efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss, further delaying Mr. Trump's criminal case as he seeks to regain the presidency. Yes, so the justice has put on hold the criminal case being pursued by special counsel Jack Smith and will review a lower court's rejection of Trump's claim of immunity from prosecution because he was president when he took actions aimed at reversing President Joe Biden's election victory over him. So they're just parking the Jack Smith issue and reviewing the earlier issue. Trump's lawyers had requested a stay of that ruling, that earlier ruling, warning of dire consequences for the presidency absent such immunity, according to Reuters. The case once again thrusts the Supreme Court into the election fray, just as the justices are due to issue a ruling on whether to overturn a decision by Colorado's top court that bars Mr Trump from the state's Republican primary ballot based on a constitutional provision regarding insurrection. Plenty going on there. Trump, of course, appointed three of the nine justices on the Supreme Court when he was president. So I think the thinking is that some of these will be overturned. And finally, Sean, it's been a very slow start to the year for Hollywood, but hopes are really pretty high that June 2 can turn around fortunes of movie land. I don't know. What do you think? Did you see June 1? No. What's it like? Good. I don't know. I haven't seen that either. So it feels like (laughs) I need to, and I'm hardly going to watch June 2 before I've seen June 1. And, And I'm also kind of thinking, don't you need to read the book first? Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. I feel like I've hijacked this. No, that's all right. Last year around this time we had Avatar and Ant-Man and the Wasp. I must say I didn't see Avatar and I definitely didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp. However. I did see Avatar. Oh, was it good? Yeah, Avatar, no, I just oh, wasn't as yeah. good as the first one. Anyway. Right. Sorry, this is, this is not a movie review show, but I'm happy no. to give my opinion on everything you say. Right. So Avatar and Ant-Man and the Wasp were blockbusters, right? Mm-hmm. This year... Just really haven't had great return. I mean, Mean Girls did okay. Bob Marley, One Love did okay. Mm. But tonight, Dune 2 opens in the US. Now, ticket pre-sales are the best since the Taylor Swift, The Eras tour concert movie released in October. Of course, of course. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, Dune Part 2 is based on Frank Herbert's science fiction novels about warring intergalactic dynasties. It's already received critical acclaim and is projected to bring in as much as $75 million in the US and Canada in its first weekend, according to Box Office Pro. Now, that would be the biggest domestic opening since Taylor's concert show uh, in October last year. Better financial comparison based on the film's critical praise, running time and target demographic is John Wick Chapter 4, according to Bloomberg. It's an action movie released in March 2023. It opened to $74 million in the US and Canada, 
basically made about $400 million worldwide eventually. I think Hollywood's hoping for the same with Dune 2. All right. Now, uh, up next, Sean, is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview, Michael Shoebridge from uh, Strategic Analysis Australia. This is a great chat. It is. It's all about what Mike Burgess, the head of ASIO, said about the XMP uh, being coerced by a foreign entity and working for that foreign entity. Michael has a great background in this area. He understands it. He has He's quite outspoken. He has plenty to say about it, so it's well worth a listen. Yeah, it sure is. It is up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Friday, the 1st of March, 2024. Make sure you're following the podcast and please join us online on LinkedIn and Instagram, TikTok, X and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Tracy Price, your Lord Mayor candidate. As your Lord Mayor, I will focus on ways to reduce the cost of living, provide more affordable housing and improve our public transport system. I will be standing up for the suburbs. We can make a difference. Send the LNP Council a message and let's get it right for Brisbane. Tracy Price is right for Brisbane. Vote one Tracy Price for Lord Mayor. Authorised by Kate Flanders, Level 1, 16 Peel Street, South Brisbane.